This is Working the Beat. It is Tuesday, June 9th, 2020. I'm Kevin Penny along with Mike Kern. Michael, join us in a minute. Glad you could be with us. Give me what you can tonight. As we do our first show in the yellow phase. Uh, since Philadelphia and the surrounding counties has been moved to yellow, another sign that we're getting closer perhaps to some sports returning, the NBA and the NHL. Their plans are out, uh, and Mike and I have talked about that. We'll talk a little more, I'm sure, about some of the safeguards going in and some of the ideas that have been raised uh, in that. The NFL has come out with their plan. So there's one sport left, and that's Major League Baseball, and that's our cover story, if you will, on this edition of Work of the Beat. We're going to be joined by Bob Nightingale, the lead baseball writer and columnist for USA Today who has been on top of the situation with the players and the owners throughout this entire pandemic. He's one of the great baseball voices in the country, no matter what. But during this entire time, Bob has been following a the situation. Bob has been very optimistic, at least on Twitter, that there will be a season. And I think the idea of some of us had that there wouldn't be a season uh, may be fading out because the commissioner, maybe because of our some of our unknowingly no, not knowingly knowing the labor rules uh, can just declare an impasse basically and say 48 games. Here you go and set work rules. But that may be the more disastrous thing for baseball. If they can't come to some sort of an agreement, 76 games was the proposal yesterday. And that really didn't move the needle either. In fact, it may move the needle backwards according to some reports. So we'll talk to Bob about all that and everything else going on. In baseball, also we'll talk to them about this the the conversation that Josh Harris, the Sixers owner, uh, maybe interested in buying the New York Mets to go along with the Devils and the Sixers, which leads to the you know leads to the natural question of where does his interest in the Sixers lie as all this gets going. Paul Allen obviously owns sports teams in different cities, but having three and basically in three different regions. And he's talking about creating a regional cable network, which, you know, I don't know what the region is that links Mets, Nets, and Sixers fans. But we'll see. Uh, and that will be on the table. Everything with Bob Nightingale. Everything baseball will be on the table with Bob Nightingale from USA Today. He will join Mike and I when we return right after these messages. Stay with us here on Work of the Beat. Looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way. This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Work It Be podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Work It Be podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workinthebeat at gmail.com to join the Work in the Beat podcast family. We are thrilled to have one of the premier voices in baseball journalism with us uh, to break down everything going on within the game at this point, which is not a lot except for a lot of behind-the-scenes things. From USA Today and a contributor to MLB Network, it's Bob Nightingale. Bob, how are you? Yeah, doing great, Kevin. Hey, Mike. How you doing? How, how's Arizona, first of all? You're out there, I assume, right? 
Yeah, you know, it's a uh, almost normal, to tell you the truth. There's been a spike in cases uh, recently, but the restaurants and bars have been open about the last three weeks. Memorial Day was like Mardi Gras here. Everybody from California came over because they were so tired of being cooped up. <laughs> um, Kevin, road trip to Arizona, Kevin. Yep, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I want to eat in a restaurant again. Uh, I haven't seen Bob's. They have Jack, they have Jack in the Box out there. That's that's true, too. I haven't seen. In the Outburgers. <laughs> in the Outburgers as well. I haven't seen Bob since Cooperstown, which we had a lot of fun at uh, Jason Stark's in, induction uh, last year. All right, Bob, let's get to the nitty gritty here. Proposal yesterday by the owners didn't seem to go over well with the players. Uh, what are you hearing in the 24 hours since it came out? Well, at least they have not formally rejected it yet. You know, they will. But I think the you know, union was intrigued about the draft pick compensation that, okay, no more qualifying offers. Uh, you know, they're giving $50 million and a postseason bonus, even if there's no fans in the stands. I don't like the fact that just 50% is guaranteed, 75% there's a postseason. But, I, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of movement here in the next week to 10 days. I'd be shocked if, if we don't have an agreement, you know, with, within a week. Because of the and fact what, – okay, uh, Mike, I'm sorry. Uh, no, that's okay, okay. Because of the timetable, Bob, let's say it took two weeks. Um, so we'd be talking like July 20th, maybe, or something, or June 20th. What then could we maybe expect to start? Uh, what kind of date would we be looking at? Well, yeah, yeah, tack on a month because you're probably going to give the players, uh, you know, five days or seven days to show up to camp. And most, most teams will just train at their own uh, home ballpark. And then three weeks of spring training. So that's why time's sort of run out here, you know, if you want to, you know, at least a 60-70 game season. Just because they want to wrap up by September 27th, you know, August, what, 31 days. So that's just, you know, 58 days there, you know, if you start up August 1st. So kind of need to start up before the end of July here to have some kind of semblance of the season. Bob, the the idea of a 48-game season versus what was proposed yesterday is a 76. Um, Is it a matter of baseball just needs to get to a postseason at this point to get it's bulk of its revenue from Turner and Fox and ESPN. So they can pay these players that 75%. Well, you're absolutely right, Kevin. I mean, yeah. I think if, you know, baseball owners that say, Hey, let's have a 10 game regular season. You know, our money, our money is in that. Uh, <laughs> season. And you're talking about, you know, about a billion dollars here in postseason, uh, you know, revenue just from the TV network you're talking about. So yeah, if it's a 48 game season, then the players would have, you know, their full salary, which would be the same as partial salary through, say, 57 games. So, uh, yeah, but the postseason went, went, is what it's all about. And the owners are petrified that <laughs> you play two months of a regular season, then the postseason's canceled. They lost a lot of money. Is that why they're looking October 31st having to be the drop-dead date here? I also heard some one of our colleagues uh, has mentioned it privately. He hasn't put it in public yet that they're also worried they don't want to go up against an election cycle, obviously, which would have been the following week or a little bit maybe into November as well. They don't want to go into that noise chambers at that same time. Well, I think, too, Kevin, the, uh, the networks, which are the, uh, you know, Fox has a sport, uh, World Series. Also, they have you know, a whole lot of NFL games. So I don't think they don't want to, uh, you know, mix and match also and, and pick and choose. And let's face it, you know, baseball would have no chance even Game 7 World Series going as NFL games. So I, I think Fox has a, a plenty of factors as well. Mike? Bob, are you surprised 
that it's taking this long to get to this point where we still don't have answers. Um, like if I had told you a month ago, you were going to be sitting here today talking about what you're talking about, or, or does that seem, or because of the acrimony between the two sides, does it almost make sense? No, I thought we would have had something done by now. I, I really did. I kind of expected, I thought we might have something done last week. Uh, but yeah, just because, you know, the, the clock is ticking here. Yeah, you know, I don't think there was anything special about July 4th. Yeah, it's Independence Day, but after, you know, people being cooped up in their houses, you know, in their apartments all this time, who wants to, you know, if it's a nice, you know, beautiful day on July 4th, go on and have a picnic and have fun, not sit in front of your TV set once again watching baseball. So, I mean, there's, there's a reason why the World Series games won have been moved from Saturday to Wednesday, because people don't watch TV that, that much on Saturday nights. So, but yeah. I think they, they really like to get at least a 60, 70-game season in just to legitimize the season. Bob Nightingale joins us. Bob, have they already though lost an opportunity here? Because, look, the the NBA and the NHL look like they're not starting to August. They would have had the sports calendar pretty much to themselves if they had started late June, early July to at least build some momentum, kind of use the healing role they had before, you know, after 9-11 and all that. Have they lost that already with the bad will? Yeah, you know, they might have at least lost a couple of weeks for uh, sure. I mean, the baseball wasn't going to start up before July, you know, July 1st anyway, just with the pandemic conditions alone. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe it's a blessing. Maybe people who watch these games with no fans at all say, my God, this thing is boring, and say, I'm done with baseball. I can't wait for the NBA. You know, <laughs> it, it helps them. <laughs> Bob, Bob, do you think that if, God forbid, there isn't a season, and and we'll forget about it once the NBA and the NHL and the and football start. How much permanent damage going forward would that do if they didn't play baseball at all this year? Oh, I think it'd be catastrophic for the sport. I mean, even when the '94 World Series was canceled, I think it took 13 years for the attendance to you know bounce back to where it was in '93, and that's with you know the Cal Ripken march for. Uh, consecutive game streak and so it's McGuire home run race. So especially doing it now with, uh, you know, 40 million Americans unemployed and the death rates and everything else. I think people will just be so turned off by it. I think they'll lose fans forever. Is this the warm up act yeah. to the CBA talks next year? Yeah, which is kind of scary. That's why I think it's really important too, to reach an agreement and not have Rob Manfred impose a, uh, a season, because that's the case. Hey, the players are gonna be upset and everything else. Then I guarantee next spring, when you know during spring training, we're all gonna be asking the players about a strike, and guys are all upset with the ownership and the MLB. And then I think we'd be bracing ourselves for a possible work stoppage next summer to force a labor deal before the playoffs. It, so. it is. Go, go ahead, I got to follow go up on this. Sure. Is it more important for Rob Manfred? to get a deal and not impose it be, or more important for Tony Clark to get a deal that's better than he got three years ago, because it's almost like, it seems like the, the players association realized they made a really bad deal at the last CBA five, which will be a five year contract. And some of this is like, we're digging in our heels because we're not giving into them again. Like we did four four years ago. No, you make a great point, Kevin. I mean, I think Tony Clark wants to say, is that, hey, we're going to be strong. If we cave in here, MLB will know we got you. We're going to try to get you again uh, next year. 
So he's got to have the player's faith that we're sticking strong through this no matter what. In a Rob Manfred's case, you know, he doesn't want to just implement something. I mean, he could have done that with the pitch clock, and then you try to negotiate that and it didn't go, so it, so it let the thing go. So, you know, he's more of a deal maker. I don't think he wants to shut us down anybody's throats. Bob, if they did impose a 48-game season or whatever it would be, do you think there are some players that maybe could afford to sit out because they're looking at a big payday in another year or so? And, and Or do you think there would be some players that would maybe just come up with a bad hammy and say, gee, I can't really go here? Or is that being overstated? Well, I think the trouble is, you know, you're still going to face your peers. And, uh, you know, in a short season, anything can happen. Uh, what, the Pirates were a half a game behind the Cardinals last year, you know, at the All-Star break. You know, Nationals, you know, would have been dead and buried. So I think we're going to have some fluke teams make the playoffs. I just think it be hard for particularly star players to say, hey, I'll see you guys next spring, and mm-hmm. no going to crush, you know, that your teammates' chances to go deep in a postseason. I think that would be the biggest obstacle. Bob Nightingale joins mm-hmm. us. Bob, are you surprised how much of this has been played out in public? Uh, we have Ruben Amaro on about 10 days ago, and he said, you know, deals normally get done in private without anybody knowing. And he said that the idea that this has been very public alarms him. Uh, are you surprised it's been as public as it has been? Yeah, I, I really am, Kevin. I mean, just everything gets out there. You know, everybody's trying to spin their side. Uh, you know, leaks are everywhere. Uh, there hasn't been a proposal yet that has not been leaked. Uh, and, you know, counter proposals been leaked. So, yeah, I, I'm surprised by that. You know, I also think it hurts with the uh, pandemic that they're not meeting in a room. Everything's being exchanged through emails and Zoom calls and things like that. I think that, I think that hurts. I really do. Everybody's a tough guy on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so tough, Kevin. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> Bob, what has it been like for somebody like you these last two, three, four weeks to cover, you know, you're used to covering games, and, and I know you cover all this stuff, but what has this been like? This must just be the goofiest time of, of your life. Yeah, just strange. It was really strange about, you know, the restaurants and bars being open. You know, just <laughs> house, you know? It always wow. comes back to that for a baseball writer, restaurants and bars. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, back for a few beers and things like that. But yeah, just strange times. You know, then they, uh, you know, at the at Gannett, you have, uh, you got to take one week of furlough a month. So the week, you know, you're, they don't have a lot of contact you. You're not supposed to contact them. And so you kind of try to stay at your computer and then you still kind of hang out and stuff. It's almost like, you know, you feel like you're on vacation, not getting paid, obviously, and then kind of hard to get back in routine. But, yeah, just strange times, particularly with all the sports. Yeah, but it's just baseball going on strike. You know, no big deal. We could be watching the NBA playoffs and NHL and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the strange thing is just not having any sports at all to watch. Bob, and, and by the way, I should point out, it's great reporters like, Bob, Ken Rosenthal, all them who have been getting all these and reporting it. So we do have an idea of what's going on. That doesn't mean that they should be leaking as much. I'm not sure. <laughs> That's my opinion. Uh, let's get to other baseball issues. And I want to turn to the Phillies on one end here. Everybody said Matt Klintak was on the, was on the hot seat this offseason. After what happened with, the, with uh, obviously, with Gabe Kapler, Joe Girardi coming in, the Phillies have this pressure to win. Now you throw a pandemic in. How do you judge a general manager by whatever's going to happen this season? And this is across the board. I would doubt you would see many changes this offseason with any of these coaches or general managers or managers or general managers coming in. Would you agree? 
Yeah, you're right, Kevin. I just a uh, with assistant GM this morning uh, before the season started. You know, I think we had eight or nine GMs on the hot seat. You know, we had some managers too, but mostly GMs. Matt Clemtack being one of them. But you're right. In a uh, in a like this, I think it'd be very hard for someone to get fired. You're not saying it can't happen, but you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, particularly if they have still you know time. You know, it might be a little different in out of Anaheim. Billy Upper's contract is up, but a uh, you go around, yeah, it's going to save. I think it's going to save a lot of GMs to tell you the truth. And with the draft coming up this week, it's such a different landscape with only five rounds, no college seasons to basically base those kids off of, no high school seasons in a lot of cases. How challenging has it been for for scouting directors trying to get their drafts lined up for five rounds, a sprint? Yeah, I mean, you're going back what you saw very early in the in the spring, going back from uh, past history. That's why I think a lot of teams will just draft collegiate players, kind of afraid of the high school. And it'll be interesting to see. I mean, after five rounds, you can sign anybody you want, you know, for uh, 20000 apiece. So you wonder, uh, you know, if some teams just pour all kinds of money in there, just stockpile uh, kids. But the trouble is, you know, there's no place for those kids to play. You're probably going to sit around until uh, this fall, you know, to the Arizona Fall League and Florida Fall League type of thing uh, to see what happens. But yeah, those kids, particularly the ones that don't get drafted in college, you know, they may have no choice but to go back for their senior year. Mike. Bob, if we do get back and have baseball in whatever form we have it, how do you think it's going to change, at least in the immediacy, the way somebody like you would cover it? Do you think you'll even be allowed in stadiums? Um, we have to do it from afar via Zoom. I mean, have you thought at all about that, or have you been too distracted with all the negotiations to really worry about that? No, I, I've checked into it from time to time, and the last I've been told, Mike, is that, yeah, reporters will be allowed into the ballparks. Okay. Maybe one for media entity I don't, or media outlet. Uh, I don't think they can limit that. But anyways, a lot of the ballparks, but, you know, certainly not in the clubhouse, and I don't think even from what I've been told right now, all they've been talking about is Zoom calls before games and after games. So that's it. I mean, you pretty much have the same access as watching the games, you know, in your living room couch <laughs> and turning into the Zoom call. With Welcome free, to with, the future, with, big boy. With, 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 with free <laughs> access to beer, too, at your house. Let's point, let's point that out. Um, <laughs> The Mets, the Mets sale has come up and around here. It has some interest because the latest name being mentioned is Josh Harris. The Sixers owner owns the Jersey Devils. What are you hearing about the sale of the Mets right now? Well, I think there's, yeah, just the uh, infancy stages. Uh, at one point, I know we're talking about taking up the market just to wait for, uh, you know, pandemic to clear up and stuff like that. As a franchise has got to be valued right now. Obviously, they're going to take a, a financial bath this year. Uh, but yeah, they're just getting started here. I would, I would be shocked if a guy like I am not talking to him, Thomas Tall from uh, Pittsburgh, you know, the movie producer. I'd be surprised at all to see him jump in there. I thought he was going to jump in with Jeter uh, in Miami, but he didn't think that was a good investment. You know, maybe he's just going to sit back and wait for the Pirates to be sold at, at some point. I can see him being involved. I know a couple of investors in LA. They're keeping quiet, but they're interested. So I think it'll take a while. Just you might as well wait till baseball resumes fully and see if you can get a better price for it. Is it the Wilpons need cash at this point? Because they're not a they're not a, 
a, a group like some others, like John Middleton has a ton of cash lying around. You know, he's like Scrooge McDuck in that sense of, you know, he can dive in the pit and find whatever he needs. <laughs> the Wilpons don't have that, correct? Correct. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, uh, I mean they, no, they do have money. I mean, they, had to, they went through the Madoff thing, my that thing. So I think it's a thing, Kevin, you're just tired of getting ripped in the papers, tired of all the criticism. It's like, if you own a team, have fun with it. You know, I think John Milton has a great time with it. Right. Uh, if you're not having fun, why, why bother with the thing? So I think it's just a thing they reach a point like, okay, we're, we're tired of getting blasts in the papers. Enough's enough. Does the does MLB one final question, Mike, on this one? Uh, does MLB does MLB frown on owners like the NFL has a thing? They don't like owners from other leagues coming in. The, I, I'm going on top of my head. Does does MLB have that same feeling that they don't like owners who are too cut up into other sports here? I think they like the uh, you know owners to divest more. Reinsdorf, you know, he owns both franchises. The Bulls you know, and the White Sox, right? Yeah, the White Sox. So, um, you know, that happens. You know, their big thing is, of course, the betting process to make sure if that guy was in another sport, you know, how was he viewed? Was he spending money wildly? You know, like, you know, a Mark Cuban type of guy. They don't want guys like him. They don't want a guy to blow up the salary structure and say, I don't care if I have a $400 million payroll. I'm going to buy up every free agent I want. Mike. So, so if you had that kind of money, Bob, would you want to be an owner? And is it because I just seem to think with all this stuff that's happening, and I know the, the franchises will probably go up in value, but is it, would you want to be an owner given all the, the goofiness that's surrounding the game right now? Not right now, I wouldn't. I mean, because you don't want to be the owner. They all make, they all make money. I mean, for <laughs> that, you know, I think the three of us could own an NFL franchise and be billionaires in a couple of years. Yeah. It just a money pit. And they, uh, I mean, how many franchises of baseball have been sold over the last 10 years? Just just a few, just because there's so much money to be made. And as long as you have fun. I don't understand these owners that don't go to games. You know, I think Jerry Reinsdorf goes about every home game. Uh, Kevin O'Bear and me, but I would, I would think Milton goes to a lot of games. John Middleton's had a ton. Yeah. No, John Middleton's had a ton, too. So, I mean, you're right. I never understood the guy who just pops in and pops out. You know, it, it doesn't make sense if you're making that kind of investment, right? Yeah, even the Monfort brothers, and they get ripped all the time in Denver. But the uh, one Monfort, uh, Dick Monfort, he's at every home game, right behind the dugout, cheering, wiling, wearing his purple tennis shoes. Uh, and he gets criticized a lot, but he, he has fun with it. Are there any owners, and this will be the last question, are there any owners that are in trouble here that have overstretched themselves? Uh, you know, the Ricketts come to mind because they started up Marquee. They did all the development around Wrigley Field. And they've been the one who said that they need the cash coming in from, from the Wrigley Gate more than anybody else. Are there any that have overextended themselves and this is being revealed out in the pandemic and, and maybe why they're taking a harder line? I think there may be a couple. And owners will say there's a few. They don't specify. I mean, the Ricketts, at least that franchise has gone up to about three and a half billion dollars. They bought about eight fifty or so. Right. But yeah, there's some money in that in that neighborhood there. Uh, St. Louis with the Bill DeWitt family, same thing. They have that ballpark village. So I'm sure there's a few. I'm sure it's hurting the uh, you know Bruce Sherman and Dirk Jeter down in in Miami. Uh, same same as in Tampa. But you got to think a place like Milwaukee, for instance. Uh, you know, they got a very small local B contract. And they rely a ton on, on their attendance. They draw 3 million fans. Mm-hmm. So without fans, I think a franchise like that could get crushed. 
Now, Mark Antonacci has money, but he's, he's taking a big, big hit. Yep. Yeah. Bob Nightingale from USA Today, contributor for MLB Network, and uh, one of the best around. And, Bob, I appreciate you joining us. I know you've been busy. Uh, take care. Hopefully we'll talk baseball at some point in the near future. Yeah. Like Go to- take your furlough. So week. Thank you, Mike. Yep. Go take your furlough. Go take the week. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hopefully you're in a restaurant or a bar in another city soon with uh, seeing baseball. So, Bob, thanks a lot. And we'll be back on Work on the Beat right after this. Looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way. This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Work of the Beat podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Work of the Beat podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. That's 267-546-7277 or workinthebeat at gmail.com to join the Work in the Beat podcast family. Once again, our thanks to Bob Nightingale for joining us on the entire baseball situation. Uh, good, bad, indifferent. Bob, optimistic that things are going to get going at some point here. Um, but, Mike, I think that's a, one of the things we talked about yesterday on the phone. Some people don't, are going to be like they don't care either way. You know, and I think that's that's the main loss in all this for baseball. I'm getting to that point, Kevin, only in that, look, do I want to see anything? Yeah, I mean, there's going to be golf on this weekend. Yeah, it's going to, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure I'll tune in at some point. I'll watch some. There won't be fans, but golf's one of those sports you can probably get away with that more so than others. Um, when base, uh, when When basketball and hockey come back, there's not going to be fans. But it's going to be basketball and hockey. And we have teams that – one team that was doing real well and one team that wasn't doing – okay, football we kind of think is going to start on time. At least that's the plan. And baseball just sits there in this um, whatever you want to call it or describe it. And I'm just getting to the point where it's like, the hell with you. You know, the NHL will be here soon enough. The NBA will be here soon enough. Football will be here soon enough. And if that's the way you want to be, then I can live without it. I don't want to live without it, but I can live without it. The other thing, and we mentioned this with Bob, is um, Josh Harris looking to buy um, the New York Mets. He's one of the A-Rod group. Well, he's one of the groups, including one headed by A-Rod. He's not connected with A-Rod. Looking to buy the Mets. And, And one of the things that was listed was the idea of a regional sports network that would feature all three of Harris's properties, which would be the Mets, the, the, the Devils, and the Sixers. How in the world does this work? Well, it works because Josh Harris is going to make a lot of money. This just in. Josh Harris is rich and wants to get richer. Uh, you're telling me there can't be a, a, a two-city, 90 miles apart, um, thing that he runs where the Sixers won't be on Comcast or NBC Sports, whatever it's called. Which I think and, their contract's you know, up in 2024, by the way, we should point out. Okay, so we're still talking four years, I guess. Yeah. I mean, don't the Yankees have the Yes Network? Yankees, have, Yankees have the Yes Network, um, which also has the Nets. Um, and the when Net- does that run through? Like, when does their thing run through? 
You know, well, I don't know. What? Like, are they, well, the Yats, are they 2024 also? Or Well, yes, they, yes, and, yes, and the Nets and the Yankees are all a joint partnership, I think. Right, but what I'm saying is how long does their contract run? Or, or do they have a contract to 2025? Well, the the have- Yankees are in perpetuity. Like, the Yankees, oh, okay. because it's the okay. Yankees network. And I think the yes are in the same way. Uh, okay. Obviously, MSG does the... The the Knicks, the Nets, or I'm sorry, the Knicks, the Rangers. Uh, they also have like the C- Islanders and I think the Sabers. So so the Mets are on the, the Mets are on what now? The Mets are on SMY. Which SMY. Is, I'm sorry, I got that confused. With right, you. I'm sorry, which is my fault. basically Comcast Sportsnet from back in the from right, right, right that um, time. I mean, look. So all Josh would need after that is a football is a football team. Yeah. You know, and he'd have, or, he'd have the uh, the Mount Rushmore. Or the question becomes, well, Josh Harris, and, you know, look, there's been a lot of talk of Josh Harris being, you know, jo- look, Josh's business is basically taking depressed properties, building them up, selling them off. That's how Josh got his money, okay? And he bought the Sixers at a very low ebb, and there's always been talk that he would probably unload the Sixers once he felt like he maximized their value. Would mm-hmm. this be the time that Josh Harris considers selling the Sixers at that point? Well, I think at this point you want to see if you can maybe win a championship because that's what all owners want to do other than make money. You, you want to lift a trophy so you can say, I'm great, uh, especially with all they went through with the process. Uh, I think you wouldn't be able to point a finger at people and say, see, we, we knew what we were doing. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Will, will the Sixers be worth more in two or three? I, I don't know. W- what I think is funny about all this is if Josh owns these three teams, there must be an awful lot of Josh Harris money invested somehow, some way. Mm-hmm. Yet they were going to cut salaries at one point, like with the Sixers to save like a million dollars. What What do these people think? Like what goes through their minds is, is amazing to me. How rich, and I know we pick on rich people all the time, but how you can be worth well, easy X to. amount um, and then worry about losing a million dollars, let's say, or a million five, and all the bad publicity that's going to come with that when you do that is absurd to me. I, m- I remember uh, Dave Murphy wrote a column about that, you know, a month or so ago about, you know, when you broke it down, the, the money – was like two Tobias Harris games or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, you know, and if he's getting involved with the Mets, then he obviously must have, I mean, it's not all his money maybe. I mean, it might be other people's money too. But he's obviously he's obviously not worried about where he, you know, losing money with the Sixers right now or so. I mean, it, it's just these people have so much money we can't even comprehend what like a Bob Kraft or, or people of that ilk are worth it's 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 well, nuts well and that's what leads to the whole argument when you get back to the baseball case about are these guys really going to lose that much money even if the season's played without fans at 78 games or whatever do you think josh harris has been a good owner i mean it like is, is josh's harris's responsibility to us or to him so I always get that, like, you always hear these things, well, they're, they're having the trust of the do you people. Th- do you think the Sixers have been run in a well-orchestrated... Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the way to phrase it. Have the Sixers been run in a way that a good owner would run it? Well, I think they've made a lot of mistakes, but 
Josh Harris might have tripled his value for all I know from the time he took over the team till now. I, I don't know the figures. So in that case, how could I say, Josh, you were bad? You know, I, I mean, they went through the process, I think, because Hinky convinced them, rightly or wrongly, that they had no other option. And, and I'll buy into that. I'll, I'll, look, I don't want to be the eighth or ninth team every year in, in my conference. No, it's a but path it, to it, nowhere. But it, well, the Warriors did it without tanking um, because they drafted great. You know, they got Seth Curry with the seventh pick and and Clay Thompson with like the eleventh pick and and Green in the second round. I mean, when you do things like that, right? Maybe, but but the I think what the Sixers tried to do was right. They just did it wrong. It took way 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 too long. They made like a couple really bad picks. I mean. Of the five picks they had, three of them stunk. The two good ones were Simmons and Embiid. And they got lucky with Embiid because Embiid dropped two spots. They would have ended up with Wiggins, I guess. Right. Um, or, no, no, they, they, whoever went two that year, they would have ended I don't know. But they, they, so anyway, but it just took too long. It took too long and was too painful. And now that we're in the second part of the process, people are starting, I think, to get a little bit worried that it might not work, like that the ultimate goal might not be achieved. Uh, and I'm not saying if they never win a championship, I'm not going to say the ultimate. I mean, if they're winning 50 games a year and maybe they're getting to a conference final or they get to an NBA final and they just don't have a parade, I wouldn't call it a failure. But I just think those, it, you know, instead of taking two years, and maybe it was naive of us to think it was only going – I mean, they drafted four or five straight guys in the first round that didn't play their rookie season. Mm-hmm. That's hard to do. And I don't know if that's their fault. I'm not – you know, I mean, they knew they were taking a chance with Embiid. Uh, I don't think some of the other ones you could you could forecast. But, I mean, are you happy at the point we are now with them? No. And I think part of it is also the way they've conducted their business. It's They've seemed very wishy-washy in a lot of ways um, in a sense of, you know, they, they, they're going to give Hinky all the room he needs until he gets pushed. You know, he gets one little edge of push from Adam Silver and some of the NBA owners. Um, they bring in Colangelo, and then it's almost like he's uh, Harris is absentee, and then when he jumps in, he he meddles too much. There's no fine line there, you know. Um, well, let me ask you a question: Were you okay with where they are were last year when they lost in Game Seven at Toronto? That's a good question. Because if your answer is no, then you're lying. Because everybody in Philadelphia was gung-ho about we were this close to maybe winning an NBA title. I, so No, and you're if right. They made, yeah, if they made bad move in the offseason getting Horford and letting uh, Butler go, and I'm not sure Butler wanted to be here anyway with, with, with um, Ben, um, and they let J- J.J. go, if, if those moves weren't good for this year – but at the time they made some of those moves, most people were kind of on board. I, I didn't. I didn't agree with. In a perfect world, I knew they couldn't keep Jimmy and Tobias. You know what it is. I knew given. No, go ahead. I know, and I, I think what what part of it is is the fact that you've never from day one got the sense that winning was the most important thing. Um, uh, I, I don't know, Kevin. That, uh, well, hold on. I think Mike, that's, I, but I think that's an easy fallback for people is when things don't go right. Or that they knew what they were doing. I mean, remember when we used to hear about how Jeffrey Lurie didn't care about winning 
I remember hearing that so many times. Jeff Lurie don't care about winning. What is that? Because they didn't win. You know, there was a time when maybe the Phillies didn't care about winning because, you know, they for money or they were moving to a new ballpark, whatever. But I used to hear that about Jeff Lurie all the time. They don't care about winning. Really? Jeff Lurie didn't want to walk into that room with a trophy and say to the other owners, I, I mean, when things don't go right, just because they don't do the right moves to win doesn't mean they don't care about winning. I think uh, they went out. But I think their judgment, Jimmy, Mike, I think their judgment of winning is different than what we think the judgment of winning is. I think their judgment. Uh, hold on, Mike. Go ahead. Mike, I think their judgment of winning is how much money can we make? How can we market the product? Can we be the envy of our business colleagues because we are able to turn what was a dormant franchise into an elite franchise with eyeballs on us all the time. And if a pro- if a title comes along the way, that's kind of nice too. Now, Kevin, I think, I think your views upon that sometimes, you say that a lot about many teams. Do you think last year when they went out and got Jimmy Butler, okay, mm-hmm. and they went out and got Tobias Harris like a month later, you're trying to tell me they weren't trying to win? You're trying to tell me that when they got into the game, no, no, no. I, I, Kevin, if you want to say that. I'm not they, saying they, they don't, don't want to win. I'm saying. Well, that, yes, you did. No, I'm you, saying. You did. No, Mike, I think that there's another angle on this. I think there's an angle of the business aspect is way more important than the the the, the idea. If we win a championship and it goes along with the fact that our business is the top rated one and drawing every oh. dime in. Look how they've alienated a lot of their fans. And I know they, they've raised ticket prices constantly. They've made, the, they've made the experience for their fans with waiting lists and everything to be miserable. That you have to pay to be on the waiting list for them. That is where, you know, some of the way they've handled their medical stuff, okay, of announcing when players are going to play and when they're not going to play. When, uh, you know, how the approach goes with different things. It has been very questionable. It, it leads to the idea of the marketing end is way more important than the basketball end. That's all I'm I, saying. I, Kevin, I think you can think what you want. I'm not saying you're wrong, but if you make it sound as if they don't, they're not trying to win. They don't, that, that couldn't be more wrong. They may be horrible when it comes to their PR to, and every business wants to make money. That's what Josh Harris is in the business for. And they've went from five or six years ago not being able to put a fanny in the seat to having now a demand for seats. Have they handled it the right way? No, I'm agreeing with you. But don't tell me when they went out last year and got Jimmy Butler and got Tobias Harris a month later that they weren't trying to put together a championship team. They didn't have to do either of those things. Or they could have done one of them. They didn't have to go out in the offseason and get Al Horford. They didn't. They could have came back without Al Horford. So I think you take it to another level because you don't like the way they do business, and that's fine. They may not do business the way um, that we agree with or is fan-friendly, but you know what? When 20,000 people are showing up every night, you know, they must be buying in. Yep. All right, so that's our story with the Sixers. You know, I understand. I understand that, you know, or with the Josh Harris things. 
the other part of this is, you know, I, I think that we have to understand that the owners we grew up with or the people we grew up with, with as owners who we felt invested in just a single community. You know, Ed Snyder was a single community guy, okay? We were been fortunate in this town. You know, Dave Montgomery and, and the whole crew with the um, – with the Phillies has pretty much been a, a, a single a single community guy. And even Jeff Lurie to that point since he got here. The new owner's model is not going to be single community guys. You know, you have Paul Allen who does, you know, he has uh, business interests with, um, you know, the so- or not with the Sonics, with the Seahawks, with the Blazers. Uh, there's the, um, there, there's, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the guy who the Glazers used to be with the Buccaneers. They had, you know, the the European soccer interest. All Bob that. Kraft is. Bob Kraft is a single. But we just don't have. I mean, we that, never like guys who come world. from outside anyway. And but that's the way of the world, Kevin. If if it's going to take um, $2 billion to buy a franchise, like, like what they're doing in Florida now with uh, uh, Jeter, mm-hmm. you know, you usually have to get a group of people. You, it's not. Rui Carpenter, you know, I grew up, Rui Carpenter owned the Phillies. Rui Carpenter had been in the Carpenter family since 1943 or something. That, you know, isn't going to happen as much anymore because of the economics of it. Um, And people do have diversified interests, even if, I don't know how Kraft got rich, but I mean, they've usually gotten rich doing something. Steinbrenner had his shipyards or whatever, and... um, that's just uh, – it's not as intimate mm-hmm. as it used to be. Uh, that's a given. But it, I think anytime teams don't – win, even when the Phillies were going through bad periods, you know, we would say, ah, they don't care about winning. I, I mean, some franchises care more. I'm, I'm not saying everybody cares the same. But I think at the end of the day, they want two things. They want to make money and they want to be able to walk – around with a trophy or a ring to say, see, I'm great. And because not too many guys get to do that. I mean, if you go, if you go to an NFL owners meeting, how many guys have rings? Yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, so I know, I mean, Lori, that was a big part of Lori. Yeah. And there were times I thought Lori was kind of not doing it the right way. Um, you know, when they went out and signed the dream team, they were trying, they, they just, they just didn't try right. I mean, no. <laughs> You know, it's it's. You could probably cite me many uh, things with the Phillies where they didn't try, right? You know, and and then when they get it right, you have five great years. Speaking of the NFL, let's get to the NFL. And obviously, over the weekend since we last talked to you, there was the um, Roger Goodell video that came out in <clears throat> about the protest that were going on across the country and all that, and Roger Goodell apologizing for the way the league has stifled protest movements in the past. And obviously this is going to be a big, big lightning rod topic as the NFL gets back. Did you think when you heard Goodell's statement, he was opening the door to the, the protest, the, 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 the taking a knee during the national anthem to return here? Well, you're opening the door to everything. Yeah. Um, And obviously like a lot of the stuff we've seen in the last week, it's, it's too late. I mean, it doesn't mean it's too late to help. It just means it came too late. Here's the thing you got to remember, Kevin, when the owners voted on that, 
uh, to put that rule in like four years ago. The vote, I think, was 29 to zero with one abstention. So Goodell can say anything he wants. He works for those guys. Do you think those 30 owners have changed their opinion of what that means? Do you think the president has, I mean, the president already tweeted out. Does this mean Roger Goodell is going to let, and I don't know what the right or wrong answer is. I think Colin Kaepernick has the right to protest, undoubtedly. Does he have the right to protest in a uniform? That's what the question becomes. Uh, does LeBron James have the right to wear a Black Lives Matters T-shirt during the pregame warm-ups at a Lakers game if he's representing the Lakers and the Lakers are paying his salary? That seemed to be the, um, the big topic of conversation back then, plus the fact that many people thought he was dissing on the flag, such as Drew Brees last week when he came out with his first comment. So it's going to get interesting because if players want to protest and they don't allow it, then what are they going to look like? Well, and I think the bigger thing here is the fact that this is a league that never admits a mistake. Never, ever, 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 ever admits a mistake. Maybe, you know, even on the officiating mistakes, it sometimes takes pulling your teeth to get the most obvious calls to get admitted to being incorrect. Um, but this league, Roger Goodell left little wiggle room here with the fact that the league has pretty much said we, we screwed up by trying to stifle um, the voices of dissent within our ranks. Now, now why, I know what you're saying. Why do you think? Why do you think he said what he said last week? Why do you? Well, and that's and, the, he, and, he, and it took him a few days, right? It took him like uh, took him like no Friday, five or six days. Took him no Friday. Okay, why do you? Why do you think he did? I think he fit. I think he saw in that video that the players uh, uh, released. I think right. he saw the new phase of the league in Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. saying, "We want the National Football League to admit we've made a mistake. We want the National Football League to say Black Lives Matter." Mm-hmm. And he realized that this is now out of their hands. I know what you're saying about owners have the ultimate power here, and they do, okay? In a sense that so they have the finances and they could, they could start the money. But they are, there's also the, the force of the public will. And I think they realize now that if they were to turn back on this, if Roger Goodell was to say, no, you can't kneel during the anthem in September, Okay, that this would be a nightmare for the league that would, in especially when you combine it with an, the middle of an electric uh, election maelstrom that's going to take place. That I I don't think the league wants any part of it. So I think the league admitted now was it was better for them now to admit their admit their mistake. Kind of the the seed change has gone. To a point where they have to find a way of of navigating these waters and, and navigating what their players want. Do you think Roger went to the owners before he made that statement? You know, because if he didn't, he's taking a pretty big leap of faith. That's a be, gr- because that's a great yeah. question, and and I don't know. See, I think there's enough owners in this league. You know, Lurie's a progressive owner. Okay, Lurie is right. very much a progressive owner. I think Robert Kraft, while friendly with Donald Trump to a certain degree, Robert Kraft has always heard the whims of his players. And I think that Kraft will go along. I think that 
look, Jones, Jerry Jones and, and the late Bob McNair's family, maybe the two that may be the biggest problem for them. So what happens if your president starts tweeting out stuff on a regular basis? You know, the first week or the exhibition uh, game. Some, no, some people know. You know that's going to happen. Oh, yeah. I can guarantee so, so it right happens, now. So does Bob Kraft sever his relationship with Donald Trump? Or or, or then do the owners get divided? I mean, this is, this is uncharted grounds, and I don't know the answer. There were eight. I, th- I think there was. I'm trying to remember the number. There were eight or nine owners that had contributed to either the Trump campaign last time the federal mm-hmm. election records or to the Trump inauguration. Okay. Uh, obviously, Woody Johnson, who is the ambassador to Britain, right, was one of them. I think Kraft was one. I know Jones was one. All that. Um. So while there's a connection there, um, I also think these people are. You know, we get into the idea of smart businessmen. I think these people also know that there's a seat. There's a. There's a there's a momentum right now behind this movement that wasn't there four years ago. And I think that's where they see what the PR is and they see what the good bit, uh, that what the, where the tide has gone in a lot of ways in their markets. And I think that's where they are going to probably side. And while I agree with you, there is still a large, almost 50% in this country, let's be fair, Yeah, that doesn't agree with what you just said. At least 40%, that yeah. That, okay, that's going to agree with the president, mm-hmm. and are they willing to risk that potential backlash? Because there could be backlash each way. You know, there could be backlash one way. if you do, if, It if, becomes you a know. business calculation, Mike, where it's, and you hate saying it that cold on moral issues like this, but it's going to be a business calculation. What's the smaller backlash? Is it the 40% that way or the 55% uh, that way? I remember when we, a couple years ago, and I won't mention and you be- the name. And you, you better, know, you and, know- you, and you better, and I'm not saying you, but if you're an owner, you better get it right. Well, I remember a couple years ago, we were going, the Philadelphia Sports Writers Organization was going to honor Chris Long. I remember this As story. our um, humanitarian, I believe it was. Yeah. And there was somebody that you know and I know, mm-hmm. and not just one, who, who was friends with the Longs, mm-hmm. friends with, turned to me and said, there's no way we're doing this. I said, what's, what's the problem? He supported Colin Kaepernick. That was the answer. And I'm just telling you that for as many people who were marching this week and protesting and standing up for it because of what happened to George Floyd, I'm just telling you, the Drew Brees sentiment that was in his first tweet, which I understood where he was coming from, a lot of people feel that way, that you are disrespecting the flag when, in fact, in America, you have the right to disrespect the flag. That's one of your rights. Right. But then people say, no, you're disrespecting all the, the soldiers that died. And well, and I saw a tweet this week from somebody, who, uh, and it was interesting. They said all the people that died, like, you know, I think it was on the D-Day anniversary. Mm-hmm. They died fighting for freedom. They didn't. And freedom means you can do, you know, what they were doing. That's freedom. But And, you know, and, and there's uh, a symbolism with the flag that's, uh, you're right, that, you know, soldiers wear it on their sleeves. And sure, those who, you know, are, are, are killed or buried under that flag and, and all that. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah. so, somewhere along the line, the flag got the flag got tied in with this. When you know, look, I don't, I don't think people remember, but Kaepernick, when he decided on doing this protest, at first sat down on a bench and had one of right. his buddies who was a soldier say, "No, take a knee. Uh, the right. knee is what we do when we're praying for our." And he took and he heard that advice and did it. Now, look. You know, and I thought Mike Silski had a great column um, in the Inquirer. I think it was today. It was online on Monday night. I uh, saw it. And yeah. it, it was about, like, tone and everything. And, and Kaepernick hurt himself when he said he didn't vote. And he hurt himself with the socks, obviously. Um, sure. No, that was bad. And, yeah. and, and, and And that hurt the argument because it made it like he was just protesting t- without, like, you know, full... You know, like full representation, but the ultimate fact of Colin Kaepernick kneeling was well within his rights. That's what those soldiers did go to to die for, and it became a political issue, and it got twisted and turned, and it was like if you did this, you were against the soldiers, and, and mm-hmm. you know, look the the anthem thing, the anthem thing back then. I don't think we have as big. I think we have a better understanding now of what the issue is and the ramifications of pushing it down the aisle and pushing it away. And so when you see Roger Goodell making a statement like this, you didn't see a statement like this four years ago from major companies. Uh, you know, I don't know how, I don't know if you get people who, or companies that send emails to you, um, you know, Target and Walmart and all them. Like, you know, if you're on their mailing list or something, mm-hmm. where they all have made their statements this week. And yeah, you but, didn't but have it that four a, years ago. But four years ago, you didn't have a black guy in Minneapolis with a knee on his neck for eight and a half minutes. No, but there was... That's the difference, Kevin. When this was happening four years ago, it wasn't happening because a guy died. I mean, at least not well, that week. Eric, Eric, yeah, Eric Gardner was around for right, years but there's ago been, and, but that one two weeks ago was like the tipping point. It was like, no, enough. And here's this guy on video for eight and a half minutes looking at the camera like nothing's happening, and three other police officers are standing there looking at him. Right. And so, so yeah, what? So if what? This what happened I'm, four years ago. So you know, what I'm saying have. is that the landscape has changed, and I think it makes it easier for the NFL to. Say, go ahead, you know, and, and, and well, yeah, I, I mean, it might not just be the NFL. I mean, this could be baseball. This could be basketball. This could be hockey. I mean, it's kind of transcended everything. You know, it's not like a Colin Kaepernick thing anymore. No. You, you know, um, uh, it's, it's but, but I'm still saying you're still going to have as many people on the other side of this feeling just as strongly that what you and I just said is wrong. You know, and to be honest with you, Kevin, like if I had served in Afghanistan or something, or if I had served in Vietnam or Desert War and I had lost buddies or I had lost, uh, my son had died, or I don't know how I would feel. I, I don't, you know, if I had, a, you know, your dad was a police officer. If God forbid you had lost your dad mm-hmm. because somebody had shot him, and then people were marching against police brutality, you know, you might, 
I don't know. I don't know how you would feel, but I would understand if you felt differently. You know, we're, we're, we're not all cut out of a cookie cutter. It's No, we're not. You know, and that's what makes it America great, and that's what makes America hard. You know? Um, one issue that kind of has flown under the radar with everything going on in the last two weeks has been the coronavirus. And you took the words right out of my mouth. You um, must have like a, a, a I know we're, we're doing, we're doing, <laughs> we've done this show way too long. Uh, and Jeez. we, we were mentioning about college football has been kind of aggressive on the fact that, you know, some schools, especially in the South have talked about, um, they're going to play no matter what, you know, like they're pretty much, you know, full steam ahead. And there have been multiple cases now of school of schools reporting college football players going back with, um, and, and picking up the coronavirus. And will this change anything? Mike Kern? Don't know if, if, if everybody's determined to go full steam ahead. Okay then how are you going to stop it? The only thing that's going to stop it is if we're back in March. Uh, you know, like, so I don't know if, if 15 Penn State football players test positive at some point and they're 20-year-old healthy kids and they really don't get – I mean, you're going to have to quarantine them. I, 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 what if your star quarterback has to be quarantined for two weeks? Um, and then the question becomes what happens if other people get sick? What happens if you infect other people at Penn State? There's so many questions in all this that everybody now it is, is we're past it now. You know, we're past it. We, we've done our three months. You know, we, it, it's, you know, we've only had 115,000 people die. Um, you know, young people. I, I don't know, Kevin, but they seem very, as you said, determined or aggressive or whatever to go forward. And I understand because they're still dealing with a three-month window. But everybody that seems to talk about anything they always put that comma in there, that caveat. If we don't hit a problem, Alabama have and, Alabama have five players. Auburn had three positive right. tests at Oklahoma State, Iowa State, uh, Iowa State student worker in the athletics department tested positive for student athletes with different sports who experienced symptoms after being right. in close contact with the individuals listed. Right, but I, I think we're at the point now in this virus, Kevin, where that doesn't disturb us anymore. No. Like, because we'll sit there and go, okay, it's only five. It's only the problem I think is going to be when you get to September or October or whatever, and you actually maybe have fans in the stands, some certain, but what happens then when, when you, you know, your star quarterback or, or, or whomever, but somebody gets it right. and has to be sat down for two weeks. Well, and then, um, and then the other, know, I don't, and then the other issue is, um, the other issue is the NFL. The NFL is saying it issued its mandate yesterday, and one of them is six feet of separation among lockers. Now, you and I have both been to Novacare. Yeah. How can you have six feet of separation of lockers in Novacare? You better have two lockers, two locker rooms. I don't know. The you're, you're asking me questions I can't. Right. I think everybody's trying to put. If you read all these things that the leagues are putting in, they seem to me to be very stringent, which is good. I just don't know how you're going to carry them off. It's not enforceable. Yeah. And, you know, you might mean well. and But think about where we're at. That we've had 110 or 15,000 deaths, whatever it is, 
a million people testing positive. And we're almost kind of blase about it. Yeah, we are. That tells me everything I need to know about what people think of all this. Uh, you know, we'll go back to restaurants. I'll sit next to you or we'll sit six feet apart and hope that nobody gets sick. And I guess. And I think that even the mixed messages coming from the WHO like today or yesterday saying that asymptomatic um, contagion. Yeah, I heard that. Was not good. It was not likely. And then today they're saying, well, there was a misunderstanding and all that. Um, it's just very weird that we're five, six months into this. Yeah, it's fluid. It's very they're dealing fluid. with something they don't know. And they're learning every day and they're trying their best, I think, to keep us informed. Mm-hmm. But to be honest with you, I don't think they know for 100 percent. No, like in a lot of these things. And until we get a vaccine that works and can go to most of the people or the older people and the and whoever the, the most affected would be, that's when I think we're going to start feeling safer about ourselves. And I still think that's well, a ways away. It is. But there's going to be fans in stands. There's going to be, you know, and almost every day you're going to say, hey, Mike, there, there was five stories out there today about somebody testing positive. Yep. So, thir- so Thursday, we'll have Bernie Fernandez on. We'll talk – about, with him about his legendary boxing career and we'll talk that could be a four-hour show pal it could so michael jack <laughs> thank you thank you very much uh, oh, yeah. we didn't even get to talk john cheney today john cheney in an interview with mike jensen and you talked to john last week and, yeah uh, yeah mike had said well we'll talk about that thursday we'll talk about that thursday so my thanks to bob nightingale for joining us my thanks to you for joining us Everybody safe, stay safe, have a good have a good rest of the week. This is Work of the Week. Well, you went uptown riding in your limousine with your fine park Avenue clothes. You had the Dom Perignon in your hand.